My friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures this morning and turn with me to the book of the Revelation in chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. What was it like growing up for you, I wonder? I'll tell you, when I was a parent, it gave me the opportunity to look back. You know, we, we uh, went to the classes. I wonder if you did that. You got this brand new baby, and you're just stunned and amazed, and you're, oh, I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> and so you read the books, and you got stacks of books. And one of the lessons that I recall, which was so important, was this, make sure that you don't do the threatening and repeating. You, you know what that is? You know, my, my mom would... David, stop that. David, I said, stop that. <laughs> David, stop doing that. That's the repeating. Then came the threatening. David, if you don't stop that, I'm going to knock you into next week. <laughs> My mom, we were like 17, you know, she's 5'2 and nothing, you know. <laughs> Threatening and repeating. Well, my friends, and kids pay attention to that, by the way. You know, Mom, do you really mean what you're saying over there? Or is this a game? How far can we go before you actually get up? <laughs> yeah. Every threat, my friend, empty or not, as we know, for parents, is an attempt to change your behavior. And I'll tell you this. This is the word of God for us here today. Every time you open the pages of the word of God, the spirit of God is drawing you into a deeper relationship with God. The invitation is to hear these words and understand and live accordingly. Why? Because God's desire is your good. And so as we read this page, this, this chapter, it is, it is an unusual chapter. Before we do, let's get a running start on it. Let's do a little bit of review because as we study the book of Revelation, fact is most people who have read it numerous times still have no idea what this book is about. You may recall that in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, we have the divine outline of this book. God himself tells us exactly where this book is going. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19, we read, write, remember this is the instruction of Jesus about Jesus to the apostle John. And he says, write therefore the things that you have seen. Now, previous to verse 19 is this astounding image of Jesus. And, of course, John recorded it for us. And then, he says, write the things that you have seen, and then the things that are. And that's chapters 2 and 3, the church. You remember there are seven churches there? You know, they're introduced as the seven churches of Asia Minor, but my friends, there are far more than seven churches there. 
That number seven in this book represents completeness. This is the picture. This is the expression. The number seven is used about God and the Spirit of God. The complete and full revelation of God. And so this is the church age that we're looking at in verses or chapters 2 and 3. And then, John continues in this outline. He says, write therefore the things you have seen, the things that are, and those that are to take place after this. And that word after this, you remember, is the Greek words metatata. And it means after these things. After. It is a chronological book. It is a book of order. This happens. Then this will happen after that. This book is chronological. And so we are entering this phase of things that are to come starting in chapter 4. Now, the purpose of this book, which seems to be a mystery to so many people, is simply this. God has made promises to the nation of Israel. He has made promises about a king who will reign. I mean, those promises and the clues and indicators of who it would be started way back in Genesis, when God spoke to Eve about the seed of the woman as if God doesn't know his biology it speaks of Mary and the virgin birth throughout the old testament we see pictures that he is going to be he's going to come from the nation of Israel and more specific than that he's going to come from the tribe of Judah and more specific than that he is going to come from the line of David and the, the, the hints, the clues become more and more clear as we get there. You recall last week when we looked at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel even know, told when you should expect him and gave us the math to figure out. Did you get that article? Good. I'm going to quiz you on it. <laughs> and so the purpose of this book is to bring completion God's plan to return his creation back to pre-fall conditions. And we know so little about that. That such skinny section of the Bible, this, there isn't any sin. But my friends, we're going to learn more about that as we continue to study. But ultimately, it is about this, this section that we are now in from chapters 4 to 18, is all about preparing Israel to turn their heart to Jesus. You may recall that today is Palm Sunday. You may recall that, my friends, that references Jesus coming into Jerusalem on this donkey, and there are people on the side of the road, and they've got their palm trees. And what are they saying? Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They were recognizing him as the Messiah, as the chosen one of God. And do you remember what the leader said? Tell these people to knock it off. And Jesus said if they should stop, even the rocks would cry out. 
because it's true. Ultimately, Jesus enters Jerusalem in what we call Passion Week. Varied conversations, but remember Jesus walking into Jerusalem. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kills the prophets. Israel's whole history has been rejecting God stoning. I mean, good heavens, they took Isaiah and they literally sawed him in half. They hated the word of God. They hated God who would stand in and tell them how to live their life. Remind you of anyone? Yeah. But these events that we are reading are all about getting attention to the people of Israel. The church is gone. We won't read about that till the very end of the book. But the focus here is the nation of Israel. And there are some important, important truths to remember. Remember that uh, much, most of what is written in the book of Revelation has already been written about somewhere else in the Bible. Remember, I commended to you a very, very important work called the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. It is cross-referenced whatever passage you're in. If anything in that passage, if you're in Romans, it will tell you whatever Paul's talking about, how that was talked about someplace else in the Bible, and you can go check it out. It is particularly helpful in the book of Revelation. Because the, the book of Revelation presumes you actually read the prophets and you, you have internalized those along the way. What Ezekiel has said, what Zechariah has said, and what Daniel has said. That you understand the things. And for most, we know that's not the case. So we need tools to help us. And the treasury of scripture knowledge is a great one. Okay, so more truths to understand and to remember as we're going through this. The church is not a part of the tribulation. Church is gone. Seven-year tribulation from Daniel. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 tell us this. But God shows his love for us. Hmm. I don't think I edited that properly. Let's just read what's on the screen about that. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from, his, from the wrath to come. And the seven years is known as the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Romans 5, but God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 5 of the same book. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing, my friends. The church is not a part of this. This is national Israel. If God does not do this, he cannot be trusted for anything else. God is not a liar. He said he would do these things, and he indeed will do them. And then finally here, my friends, a very important truth to understand, that Jesus will not return until national Israel puts their faith in Jesus. After all of the questions before the crucifixion, Jesus looks at the religious leaders and says in Matthew 23, 39, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a statement of faith. We accept you as the Messiah and we put our trust in you. And so what we are about to read is to soften up the nation of Israel until they recognize their Messiah. So here we are in chapter 6. And what we are about to look at is the beginning of these, um, the wrath of God, really. The six seals of God. Remember the, the seals? Let's talk about this. I've, I've prepared this ahead of time for you. <laughs> okay? When John talks about seven seals on this, this scroll, the seals do not go like this. Boom, 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 boom to open it. You open a seal, you see the judgment, you open another seal, and you look at some more, and so on and so forth. That's how this seal works. And so this vision of the six seals, and again, the purpose of this, this seven-year tribulation, my friend, this wrath of God is against wicked men and to soften up the hearts of the nation of Israel. Now, the vision of this, uh, these uh, six seals begins with the four horses. This is famous, right? The four horses of the apocalypse. Boy, these guys come. Bad stuff happens. But my friends, again, had you uh, known the book of Zechariah, you would say, well, I've already read about this stuff. The vision of the four horses is first given in Zechariah chapter 6. Verses 1 to 8, Zechariah sees these four horses which are let loose upon the earth to deal out vengeance on Babylon and Egypt and the nations which have oppressed God's people. And the horses and the riders are forces of destruction and, hear me when I say it, agents of wrath key word is wrath here. So let's take a look at the first seal in verse 1 of chapter 6. We noticed again that um, the, the first, uh, the six seals uh, begins, and there's actually seven, but we'll talk about that when we get there on the seventh. Uh, the six seals of wrath begins with four horses. The first seal is a white horse. Now this white horse gives us a clue. 
In chapter 19, Jesus is pictured on a white horse, conquering. And so what we find here is some imitation. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. Now you may recall in chapters 4 and 5, Jesus was given this scroll. Remember all of heaven said, who can open this? And there was silence and everyone looking around in John when he saw that no one could open these seals and therefore none of the repercussions of, on wicked men and the changing of the nation of Israel and the restoration back to the Garden of Eden couldn't take place. You remember one of those 24 elders said, hey buddy, stop it. The lamb who was slain has the authority to open it. And this whole movement from the right hand of the Father into Jesus is giving him the deed to the earth that he would reign and that he would restore all things. So verse 1, Now I watched when the Lamb opened up one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And a white horse with a rider carrying a bow. Look, and I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow. Have you ever gone bow hunting or gone to the range and shot a bow? What else do you need beside a bow? There are no arrows here. That's a clue. This rider has a bow, but he doesn't have any arrows. Now you may recall in Daniel chapter 9, 26 and 27, that there is a prince that shall come who is going to make a covenant with the nation of Israel to protect her from her enemies. Well, that prince to come, we know, is the Antichrist. In other words, the future world dictator begins his career as a peacemaker. Jesus warned her, they will come and say, peace, peace. And so this seven-year tribulation begins with a seven-year covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. You want to look for the signs, my friends? Well, first and foremost, you'll be gone if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. But my friends, if you're still on the fence about such things, and you're still here after this great disappearance of so many people all over the planet, and you look into Jerusalem and you see that someone has brokered a peace deal to protect them from all of their enemies for seven years, it's all about to fall. And so this white horse with a rider carrying a bow. And you will notice that uh, without any arrows, a crown is given to him. This is world leadership through negotiations and covenants. Suddenly this guy is a leader. The crown isn't taken, my friends, but people give it to him. And a crown was given to him, and he uses this authority to make war. Wait a minute. What about all of this peace? 
A crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And it just begins. The second seal, a bright red horse. And Jesus opens this second seal. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And a bright red horse with a rider who makes war. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. What we're going to see in this chapter is a lot of people dying. This is horrific. But hear me when I say this. You're going to see come the ending how people are going to respond to this. But this is nothing compared to hell. As horrific as this is going to get. You think uh, 2020 was tough. No, we got to stay in our houses and watch TV all the time and eat snacks. And, oh, behold, I've gained 10 pounds, you know. Yeah, these people are dying here. Then we come to a third seal, a black horse. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and the third quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Now, that's obvious what that means, isn't it? <laughs> Denarius is a day's labor. Imagine a day's wage. Whatever you earn in a day, that's how much a loaf of bread costs. Those are pretty bad days. And so what's happening is food is becoming scarce. Whenever there is war, my friends, there are people starving. And here it comes. Black horse, then the fourth horse, a fourth seal. The fourth horse is a pale horse. This actually is kind of a greenish color is what that means. But when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was Death. Remember that warning about people dying here? This is where it gets really bad. And so his name is Death, and you know who's following him? Hades. And you know what Hades is? The abode of the dead. In other words, a lot of people are going to die, and they're going to have a place to go, my friends. Hades is following him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and pestilence and wild beasts of the earth. And again, because you know Ezekiel very well, you said, hey, wait a minute. Those four things are pretty significant. The sword and famine and pestilence and wild beasts. Remember Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 12? Where Ezekiel writes, And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it. And break its supply of bread and send famine upon it. Down in verse 15, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it, 
and it be made desolate so that no one will pass through because of these beasts. Verse 17, or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, let a sword pass through the land and I cut off from it man and beast. Verse 19, or if I send pestilence into that land and pour out my, and there's that word again, wrath. Those four elements represent the wrath of God. For, this, uh, for thus says the Lord God, verse 21 of Ezekiel 14, for thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment. And here they are, sword and famine, wild beast and pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. Hmm. And so the wrath of God is being poured out. And that takes us to the fifth seal, which is martyrdom. You have the Antichrist who has made a covenant and all of the world is flocking to this guy. They say, oh, what a great man. And they're putting on news specials at night so you can read about his history and how great a man he is. But there's a few who have faith in God who will not be deceived. Verse 9, the fifth seal is martyrdom. And Jesus warned of this in Matthew 24, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had, be, uh, they had borne. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 24, then they will, be, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Yeah. Got to make a stand, my friends. Better choose now when it's easy. And look at verse 10. And here are the souls of those who have died. They had been slain because they stood for the word of God. Verse 10, and they cry out with a loud voice. Oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been killed. A lot of people are going to die. Then we come to the sixth seal. And this is world chaos. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. You ever seen any videos of that? I would recommend you, you just, just look up some of these earthquakes and see the just devastation of the localization of that. And the sun became black as sackcloth. And the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the 
fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale, and the sky vanished like a scroll that has been rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And you say, we ain't in Kansas anymore because everything is changing. Joel chapter 2 and verse 31 spoke of the very same thing. He said, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord that comes. All going to happen, the birth pains. Now look at this. This is, this is maybe the first month of these seven years. And people are suddenly looking around and saying, hey, have you noticed all of the things going on in our world? It happens. And it's just begun. Well, my friends, look at verse 15. This is the true conversation that they're having. The six seals resulted in universal terror. Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And you know what they did? Hiding themselves? They prayed. Sure, look at verse 16. Calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. This is Jesus, by the way. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He's the lamb who was slain, who has now taken the scroll and taken it all back. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And the answer is no one. No one. These people are crying for death. Have you ever heard the expression, out of the frying pan into the fire? Yeah. For all of those who reject Jesus, who harden their hearts, tighten their fists, and say, I will have nothing to do with you. These people die. Judgment awaits them. Sure, it's a bad day on earth, but it's an eternal hell with eternity of suffering agony and no relief no let's just take a break eternal suffering hmm. now the point of all of this again is Judgment on wicked men and women and children. And to soften the heart of the people of God. What impact has it had on you? And my friends, it's just beginning. 
we still have some trumpets and some bold judgments coming. Now, some of you are very astute. You say, wait, wait, there's seven seals, right? Well, how come we only did six? Because the seventh seal opens up the seven trumpets. The seventh seal is everything to follow, my friends. So hear me when I say this. The only escape from the wrath of God is faith in his son. The only escape. The only hope that you have is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel by which we are saved, say it loudly with me. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Christ died for our sin. He died in our place, taking our penalty on himself. Our punishment. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died in our place. And he rose victoriously from the dead. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. Now is the time for not only life change, but a changed eternity. The only escape from the wrath of God is faith in his Son. So are you trusting in Christ? Like right now, are you trusting in Christ? Christ alone? Let me ask you this. Could you prove it? I mean, could you take us back through this past week and show us what that looks like? Trusting in Christ? Your finances and your relationships and your conversations and your investment of time. I mean, shouldn't that show up there? It's faith in Christ. My friends, it's not a transaction in a store, it's a new relationship. Trusting in Christ. Don't you dare be deceived by religion, the Lamb's book of life. He's not an attendance book. Well, they went to church. That's enough. Well, here it comes, friends. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's about faith. It's about your response to what Jesus has done for you. He died for your sin and rose from the dead. Will you trust him? And secondly, if you are, and you know all of these things are true, and the certainty of their coming, are you telling anybody else about this Jesus? Have you had any conversations lately with people that God has brought into your world? And said, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you how he changed my world. I would guess if he's changed your world, you'd want to tell people. And if you didn't know how, you'd figure it out. 
Because my friends, if you're not telling people, they have no hope. And can you imagine of people that you knew who even now are in torments? Why didn't you tell me? Oh, it was uncomfortable, really. And how about hell? My friends, put your trust in Jesus Christ and go tell someone.